just like that, we're going. Uh, I'm here today at my longtime friend and one-time client, and I don't even know if you knew, but I always viewed you as a bit of a mentor. Um, I never had a mentor outside of my dad until I met you, and it was oh, always yeah. I always used to love coming to visit you at the Wellness Corp, and you'd always give me advice, and you it would be an hour outside of what we were there to discuss, sure, and sure. I really always appreciated that. So I'm here today uh, in your workshop, and uh, I'm just setting the tone. I'm here today in the workshop. And I want to talk to you about the Wellness Corp and the charity that you uh, have helped to raise and change things for lives in Guatemala. So um, that being said, I guess we'll just start from the reason I met you originally is the Wellness Corporation. Right. So can you start with, tell a little bit about what the Wellness Corporation was? Yep. What, what, what yep. did the yeah. What the company the wellness, do? The Wellness Corporation was a company that um, set up counseling programs, uh, otherwise known as EAP, Employee Assistance Programs, in corporations, um, schools, colleges, um, uh, regionally. I, I mainly worked in the Northeast region and I um, started the company um, uh, by myself and uh, I had a beeper on and I was a nurse, so I was still working 3 to 11 while I was um, um, technically on call 24-7 for this company. And uh, it was two years before I landed an account. And uh, um, I could cut my hours back from nursing. Uh, and, uh, and then two years after that, uh, I was able to quit nursing totally and concentrate on that. How, how did you know about what an EAP was or what it was doing? Was it connected to nursing? Was it a need that you saw? Or uh, Yeah, because, you know, I was nursing mainly in the, in the specialty fields, um, sort of the emergency rooms and uh, burn units, intensive care units. And I always saw the after effects of, 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 um, of human beings' interactions um, that didn't work out. Let's say they were uh, poor uh, relationships and they were uh, batterings or, or homicides or... or um, you know, someone took their own life or whatever. Stuff that most people don't see. That's right. That's right. And and I did that for about 10 years. And uh, then I, I worked in a detox, uh, Skid Row detox for four years. And I, I just said that there has to be something better. So I heard about this employee assistance program. Uh -huh. um, and I said, well, you know, let me let me check that out. And um, so in getting my under, undergraduate degree, I did an internship at an employee assistance program in Worcester. And I, I learned the, the, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of what it was. But, and I knew that I would come back. I would, I would, I would have to get a, a graduate degree because, mm -hmm. you know, you couldn't, uh, your credibility was with your graduate degree. So I ended up uh, going to Minnesota with my new wife and, um, and went into um, the, their MPH program. And, but uh, the most important thing was I interned with Hazelden's EAP program, which was the largest in the world. They had the contract with, with the NFL, et cetera. So um, I came back to Worcester in uh, 1984 and uh, we had our first child, and um, we bought a little house. And um, I was only back maybe six weeks. Um, it was qu quite a year because my father had passed away. And, uh, and it was that year that I um, uh, went by a, 
uh, roadside uh, a, a yard sale. And I, and I picked up a desk and a chair and um, <laughs> I rented a small little office and um, and put employee assistant services on the outside of the door. And uh, and that was the beginning. And then uh, and that grew into, um, you know, into a business that was was doing about five million dollars and had 40 employees uh, after 30 years. So. So what would you when it was just you with the shingle, what were you what would you sell as the employee assistance? I would sell um, your employees all have human problems and they have issues that they come in to work with every day. Uh, for a good part of your population, they can hide it, stuff it, um, put it aside and still do the work. Um, but there's going to be at least 10% of your population at any given day that what's going on in their personal life is going to hamper their ability to perform. Is it as low as 10, you think? Uh, it's probably, or is that just a number they swallow? That's that's the number that they, they it's actually probably closer to 25. Yeah, to I would think so. Them. Yeah, yeah. And not knowing I mean, now, life is life. It, life it's not like life. it doesn't actually leave when you walk in the, the, right. the building. I that's mean, if right. there's something bothering you it's bothering right, you. that's right right it could be your kids it could be your, your 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 marriage it could be just you know you hate your job you know whatever it is but christmas christmas you know there's right. a lot of pressure with a lot of different things even that Absolutely. some people find great joy in some people find terror that's or right. pressure you never know what it is because everyone's different that's right that's right and, and christmas is is tough for me and my wife died uh, five years ago but but christmas i i you know i'm not the grinch but and uh, this is the first year I bought a tree. Uh, so um, it, it takes a while. But so they, that, that's how I would sell the product. And, um, and the product um, sort of, uh, they paid per employee per month. So mm -hmm. it was a great system because you got a check for, let's say, Harvard was one of my accounts. And there's, there's 14,000 employees at Harvard. So I would get so much per employee per month, whether they use the program or not. Right. So that, Just so it is, it's an asset it's to them. It's an asset. So it's like an insurance check would come into my business. And yeah. then uh, all I, I just rolled it back into the company um, and, and, and kept the company growing. And so um, that went on for uh, a good while. And um, I had my third child. And um, and I found that, that I was... Um, I, I wanted to now give back. I, I felt I came from a pretty rough side of the tracks, as they say. I, I grew up in uh, in Somerville uh, before Somerville was sort of the mecca that it is today. Uh -huh. uh, but it was a uh, really blue collar. Um, you know, uh, Howie Winters and the gang were, were still very much, uh, I used to play basketball actually with Howie Winters' son. I mean, so, um, you know, uh, uh, it, it was a tough place to grow up. And sure. I left when I was 16, went into the Navy um, very early, 17 years old, uh, during the Vietnam era. And so, um, when I came out, I, I had a lot of tough times in the Navy cause I had problems with authority mm. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and did, uh, and, and spent some, some break time, uh, -huh. uh which, which is, I think a for me, it was a wonderful experience to be behind bars and to look out, and to because I could see the street, and uh, and I swore that I once I got out, I would never come back in again. Yeah. So, so that's the positive of that. Um, One of those eye-opening times in exactly, life where you you're, exactly. you're kind of in a you're behind bars, but because it's the brig, it's not. It's right. not, it's not as right. bad as it could be, but, you, but you can see it. That's right. Yeah. Right. But you could see people, you know, walking along the street hand in hand and you're saying, you know, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, uh, after that ended, I got a general discharge. So with the GI bill, uh, I was lucky. Uh, they, 
I got a letter um, from some of the hospital school nursing and they, and they asked me if I wanted to attend. They were looking for male nurses. And I said, well, I didn't do too well in high school and, and, um, uh, but uh, I'll give it a shot. And um, they accepted me and, and that really turned my life around. Uh, that was that's, that's really cool because it's, it's, that's interesting too. I would imagine that in the time that you went to nursing school, you probably weren't, uh, 50, 50 male, female in the class, right? No. It was, it, it was, was very four different. Four of us males and there was 37 females. Yeah. yeah so, I, I'd imagine. So, yeah, so times have changed, but it's a nursing still a female it's dominated. Still, that's right. Most males now that go into nursing, go into uh, anesthesiology mm. They become a nurse anesthetist uh, for two reasons. Number one, the money. Yeah. Um, they make a, a, a lot more money than a floor nurse and, and males generally speaking, don't like, to do nursing on the floor because it's very hard work. It's, uh, it's, uh, always been looked upon as a, as a female's, uh, job. I, I never minded it. I, I, I enjoyed floor nursing when I, when I did, but the whole thing of taking care of sick people after the fact is what really, um, I said that there had to be a better way. Um, do you think that's part of why, what drove you to be a nurse too, or, or, or kept you interested through it where, if you, it, not, you can't take male, female out of it, but they say in general, you know, if we're really talking general terms, more females are nurses because of that nurturing um, side to women that it's not that men can't have it. It's right. just that it's more, more dominant in women than men. Right. right. So, and, but you've always, it's been a driving force in your life and we'll get to it, but right. caring for others. So like, do you think like yeah. you just had an inclination that that was a good Yes, Beginning. I, I, yes. So my mother was a nurse, uh, though she also was an alcoholic, and so uh, which which was very common uh, for nurses. Her mother was a nurse, and she was an alcoholic. I mean, well, the people like a nurse, um, a police officer, a fireman. I mean, right. those those professions see the worst that's that the right. world has to offer. That's right. And so that's that's hard to do. You know, it like really we, we put a lot of pressure on. Um, luckily we're pretty supportive of nurses, at least it seems like, but like police officers get a lot of uh, undue pressure because of some bad ones where most of them are, are good people. Absolutely. And, and, but I think that when you've got the suburban mom or dad, you know, mouthing off about a police officer, they don't understand the, That's the right. four deaths they saw that week. And That's then the right. horrific car accident with a kid in it. And That's just, right. like, and nurses see those same things when they arrive from the scene to the That's hospital, right. you know, and there's, I think a lot of us, me included, are just lucky that we don't right. see that. You know, my daily life is filled with a lot of good stuff. That's right. Yeah. You're, you're so really, weight, you most people are insulated from that reality. And that's why there's a, there's a, there's a camaraderie between firemen, nurses, and, and policemen. Yes. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a camaraderie that only they understand. Right. And, it's and, because you can get it. Right. That's right. That's right. And um, like uh, one night I was on uh, the three to 11 shift and my, uh, my job was uh, at that point was psych nursing. So our job was if somebody came in that was really, out of sorts or needed to be go, go to a state hospital or they would come in and we would do the assessment. We were also brought in when a SIDS death was brought in and we would have to sit with the mother and father knowing that their child had just passed away. My uh, stomach just turned. Yeah, it's, it's sad. And, and, and then uh, I think what really made me leave the field was one, one, one evening a 16-year-old girl came in. She was in a fight with her best friend and her best friend cut her throat with a Coke bottle and she was dead. Jesus. And, and so um, I went into the uh, paddy wagon to, you know, to see her. And, uh, and it was just uh, surreal to see this, you know, uh, 
beautiful 16 year old with, with her eyes open with this gaping hole in her neck. And I, and I just said, uh, I, I got to get out of this field. I, I Life forever altered at that's 16. Right. That's right. And, and the other person in the family said, you know, so I just said that there's got to be a better way. So it wasn't long after that, that I found um, EAP and then I headed out to Minnesota uh, to get the uh, the graduate degree and then um, and, and start, but 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 nursing it teaches you a lot about life, a lot about yourself, but it also teaches what you what you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I I can't imagine the education you get and the things that you see. Right. And um, so you, when you do start the Wellness Corp, how and you're servicing Harvard, but if it's still a one man show, like what is what is the service that you mentioned a beeper? Are they calling you literally in the beginning? Yeah, uh, we, you know we gave up beepers after a while because uh, they wanted more immediate uh, attention. So you know, we have a call center, and the call center would be seven or eight people, and they'd be taking calls from all over the country because you, we took care of their their um, their staff, all the professors, and you know you get a call like um, you know my name is so-and-so, do you know who I am? You know, and of course the poor call worker doesn't know that right. this guy is the, the biggest paleontologist in the world. And, and uh, he'll have a particular personal problem and he'll, he'll, um, he'll want service. And he happens to be in, in, on vacation in, in California. Uh -huh. And so we would plug them into a psychologist within 48 hours, wherever they were. Okay. Uh, and this happened around the world. Uh, we had a, we had a converse employee who, who was murdered in, um, in Taiwan. Um, and so again, um, so the, the company became, um, um, you, you needed more staff to service more people. And once you land a Harvard or a B or, or, or Brown or a Yale, yeah. and we had all those accounts, you sort of, you, 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 your standards are pretty high. And so um, it just grew from that. Yeah, the standards got to be high, but they don't hand you the answer, right? So you had right. to, like, tell me a little bit or take me through. So you, you're you shuffling for two years, trying to get an account. You, you're you kind of a lone wolf, and then you land a Harvard or a Brown. You land something that's now right. going to pay the bills, but you have to service it. Right. So at that point, are you, like, scrambling to form these relationships well, and how to how to make this network where you can connect people? Or, I mean, I, it, yeah. didn't, it well, couldn't have happened overnight. No, no. Harvard took, uh, I didn't land Harvard until I was in the business 10 or 11 years. So the first accounts are usually, you know, 50 employee companies, uh -huh. or 75. And those, you just service them to death. Uh, so if they call, you make sure they have an appointment. Um, you know, I always made sure that, that we never had a prompt system. So they were always answered live. So, uh -huh. you know, when a person is feeling down and out and they have the courage to pick up a phone, they don't want to hear a prompt system. Right. They want to hear a live person. So, uh, so we did that right until I saw my company. Was that normal? That was not normal. Most EAPs had prompt systems that got to my So that's size. kind of a difference maker for- That was a big difference maker, yeah. And um, and we also guaranteed um, that they would have a PhD level uh, clinician within 48 hours. That was also not a standard in the field. Um, and so we did little things like that that made, in, in other words, I knew how hard it was to open up and to talk to somebody. Sure. So my objective of when I started the company was to take all the obstacles out of the way of a person. In other words, there's no copay. Um, uh, there's no, you know, it's free. If you, if your company buys the program, it's free. And so we took all the obstacles out of the way. So a live person answered the phone. We got you seen real quick. Uh, and we checked up to make sure that person saw you within 48 hours. So that was another loop in, in the system. And so when you're doing that kind of stuff, it's very labor intensive. So yeah. you have to hire more people. So I never just, um, 
you know, uh, made money and just salted it away. I just had to really keep dumping it back into the company because yeah. as it grew, it became, uh, I needed more labor um, uh, to take care of those accounts. Sure. So. But those accounts were taken care of because of that labor. That's it was right. a self-serving That's prophecy right. kind of thing where the, the bigger you got, the, but the more you had to service. Right. And, and it would often would be, somebody would say, like a Harvard would say, well, you know, we really like you, James, and, you know, we've, we've checked all of your accounts, but what's it going to be like when you bring on Harvard? Because we're Harvard, and, uh, <laughs> and we have, a, you know, pretty high uh, standards, and, yeah. um, and so you always were proving yourself. And the beauty of getting a tough account is that it makes your company better. Yeah, you know, it's like for anything sure. else. It just, it makes, it, everything rises. Yep. Uh, and so Harvard led to Brown, led to Yale, um, and so we, we actually at one point had more colleges than any other EAP in the country. Um, and so, and that's really what, what sold the company when I did have to sell it after my wife got sick. Um, it was a saleable company because not only that, we got into student assistance program. So we got into student assistance and we had so many colleges. Um, and colleges, uh, they're kind of fail safe. They don't get, right. they don't get hit by um, recessions. Though I hear that smaller colleges are closing now, but um, colleges figure out a way, particularly the Ivy Leagues. And, yeah. they, and they pay on time and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Yeah, they work like a machine that's the, right. as far as payments and everything go. We have, right. we have um, higher ed clients too, and they're they're very reliable. They're, they're very reliable, yeah. yeah. And it, when you have a small business, you it's important that you you figure out pretty soon who um, uh, who's going to pay you on time. And who you really do. Yeah, you and really then, do. And, and, then, and you figure out who will definitely pay, but they might pay six months late, exactly. religiously. Exactly. And that was the state. Any contract we have with the state or with the prison system, um, you got your money, but you got it on their time. And mm -hmm. so we just stopped going after state contracts because it just wasn't worth it yeah. for us. So. Um, but uh, it, it provided um, a, a great living for me, and I was able to send all, all three of my kids. They went to um, you know good colleges. My last son went to Tufts, and and um, so I was so fortunate. And, but, but when the kids got older and things were going pretty well, um, and I wasn't looking at you know the checkbook to see how things were going, I, I decided that it was time to um, to give back. And and so I wrote a piece. Um, uh, it was an editorial in the, in the Worcester Telegram and, and Gazette. And, uh, and I said, you know, if, if all small business owners out there uh, took on one nonprofit um, uh, and, um, and they just gave them not, not so much money, but technical assistance, um, mentorship, um, you know, whatever. Help them be better. Help them be better. Um, because if you run us, uh, um, I've been on many boards of nonprofits and, and if you, if the, if they run more like a business, they're going to do better. Sure. Uh, and so I wrote this and I was just, I put my name and number in there and I was just waiting for the phone to ring. I never got a call. Now, one business called me and I said, well, uh, you're going to have to just do this on your own. Uh, wow. and so, do you still have that, the letter or the article? Or I'm sure it's in my, one of my computers someplace. <laughs> um, but um, so, so I, I was at, um, I had a, a Native American friend of mine uh, and we did a, uh, a sweat together. I've done several of sweats. They're very spiritual. You're, yes. And, and so uh, he said, you know, um, uh, you want to meet this guy. He's from Guatemala. He escaped the death squads in the early 80s, and uh, he's in Vermont uh, now. He, he, um, he is a refugee on a, on a priory up there with his four children. They're all grown now and gone, but 
I think he wants to go back uh, to Guatemala and build a, um, a midwife center. And I said, well, I'll, I'll meet him. And, and so I did. I, he was given a talk. He actually, his English was very poor. His wife's was a little bit better. And they were giving a talk at Harvard about their, um, their, their, um, uh, their, their wish that they could have, because many women were dying um, um, of childbirth uh, up in the, the, the Western Highlands of Guatemala. And so I, um, I met with him. I met with his wife. I saw some pictures. Um, and the next time, um, two weeks later, we flew to um, Guatemala. And what was interesting is that he was still a refugee status. So when we flew into Mexico City, um, they kept him under armed guard no for kidding. five hours while the flight, while we had a, a layover. Wow. Um, because he was still under refugee status. Um, so we get to Guatemala, and then the Western Highlands is another five hours by vehicle to get up there. And so um, we saw, I met with the midwives, and um, I came back, and in two years had about three, I think, um, big... Um, auctions uh, and raised about 300,000 total. And in 2001, um, we had our uh, 2002, we had our opening. Um, and uh, so uh, just recently, we had uh, 1,000 birth um, there. And, um, and the, the building was designed so it has actually a sweat inside. So, oh, yeah? Because that, that's... A, a I very, didn't know that part. That's very traditional that after birth, um, midwives, the midwife will take the, the, the mother without the baby, of course, and bring her into a sweat, like a sweat lodge. Well, it's really healthy and helps it's with inflammation healthy. and everything that the mother's exactly. going through after exactly. giving birth. And it gets the lactation going and all that kind of stuff. So we have actually... Actually, a sweat lodge built inside That's the facility. Cool. Uh, so uh, the clinic has been doing very well. And um, when my wife passed away, uh, in her honor, um, I bought a, um, a Land Rover. There was only two in all of Guatemala, and I got one, I got one of them. <laughs> uh, and so, um, and in the back of the Land Rover is a picture of, of my wife. And so now we're able to oh, that's reach great. Uh, higher elevations, which we couldn't before. Uh, it was just uh, too difficult to reach uh, during the rainy season. It was impossible. Yeah, I've never been, but I've seen all the photos and stuff from you. And I, the the terrain is clearly not that easy to get around. Right, and it's right. not like it's the road systems we have here or any or any of that. You know, That's it's, right. It, um, and the facility itself, we'll, we'll link to it in the, in the podcast so people can see what we're talking about. But it's a beautiful facility. I'm looking at a picture of it right now over your shoulder. It's, it's, it's got to have made... Uh, not just a difference in the you know safe birthing of children, but it's got to have changed the village. I mean, it's like a it's like it's like having a downtown when you didn't. It's having right. almost like a beacon right. that change can happen, that things can improve. Right. I it, mean, I'm guessing from the outside. No, it is was. That- it, it was, and and we. We did a video, and you know, we have a web- website, and there's a video on the website that any- everybody should watch, and it's all translated. Um, uh, they speak, they call it the, the, the they call Spanish the, the conqueror's language, so mm. uh, um, many speak it out of necessity, but there are many women um, uh, up in the highlands that don't even speak Spanish. They all speak their own uh, native dialect. of uh, it's, it's mom, M-A-M, is mm-hmm. a very guttural uh, um, dialect, and there are seven dialects, and they're all dying out unfortunately wow. because they're not taught in schools anymore but um they their dream was to have uh, a facility they never imagined that it would be, look like this but uh because when they went to a, a local hospital with a woman that was having a difficulty uh they were shunned they weren't let in the room they weren't let in the maternity area was that societal uh, yes very societal so so guatemala is doing today to 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 mayan people what we did to native americans mm. in their early 1900s so mm-hmm. 
um, is um, they are very much discriminated against and they have very little power and they're extremely poor. The average uh, income for a Guatemalan, um, a Mayan person in the highlands is about $4 a day. So um, the women all make um, uh, 20 to $30 a week um, and they, um, um, I'm sorry, 20, 20 to $50 a week, uh, depending on how many hours they work. And so we now have six, I believe, six midwives uh, that work, um, you know, 24-7. Uh, so there's always someone because yep. it's, a, it's, it's a way. So it's a real facility. I mean, there's coverage because right. births don't happen nine to five, right? That's right. And we have a, a pharmacia. Um, so in many of the midwives, they know uh, herbal medicine. And so they grow their own herbal medicine. So every woman that comes in leaves with uh, lots of herbal medicines. Um, and they leave with um, some clothing uh, for the child and some protein for, for at least the first month of the child's That's life. That's great. But it's not just um, having the herbal medicine or the clothing. A lot of that is the fabric of their community, right? They, they have the, f- the colorful fabric and the clothing, right. and the herbal medicine is cultural, right? It's not, right. It's not purely medicinal, or even right. if it is medicinal, it's, it's part of the culture that's come along with them. So that it's important in preserving that as well too, right? Is That's that right. correct? That's right. Because our objective was, and this is, sounds kind of strange, but uh, they didn't really trust us for at least two years. I mean, the building was going up mm-hmm. and they still were wondering why these gringos were building a yeah. building up here to help us. So like, yeah. what were they going to take away? How is it going to run? Because most NGOs, when they go into an area, they, they say, look, at we know better. It's our way or the highway. Well, if you read literature now, people are now listening to the elders because the elders really have the answers. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not um, cut and dry. It's a very complicated answer. And so um, after uh, two years to prove that we had nothing, we legally turned the building over to them. They own the building. And so they have their meetings on a monthly basis, and we Skype through um, on their meetings. And And I may have an idea uh, for something, and uh, they don't like it. And so the commission, or it's not the commission, it, it's the elders, um, are, are, are the, they make the decisions. And that, and it's their decision. Yeah. If, if I don't like it, that's too bad. They made the decision to do something, and that's it. So um, it's Autonomy, right? Some it's independence. Autonomy. It's total autonomy. Have you picked up on some mom? How, so when you are Skyping in, how are you communicating and no. putting your ideas out? No, I can only, um, I, I'm, my Spanish is awful. And so uh, the nurse that I'm on the call with, um, Nikki. I know Nikki. Uh, yeah, Nikki yep. May. Yeah, she, uh, she speaks Spanish. She's great. And uh, so it's interpreted. I can, I can understand more than I can speak it. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I get a gist of what's going on. Um, they never speak mom, um, um, only t- uh, together but on the calls it's always spanish uh, so is is their spanish really are they really proficient or is it like is there do you think there's a breakdown like if is it sometimes tough to get ideas across to go from english to spanish and then no, for their Spanish. No, because it, their Spanish is very good because they okay. learned it as a second language. And so they speak it slowly. Uh, it's not a Puerto Rican type of Spanish. Yeah. It's a very slow, methodical uh, Spanish. So it's it's really, if you're going to learn Spanish, there's schools up there. And I've just never taken the two months to do an immersion program. I've always thought I'd have the time, but I just, uh, I just, I just never have. And so it, it doesn't, because Nikki's around um, and we now have two or three people uh, on the board that can speak Spanish, uh, it's, it's 
it's it's not necessary for me to to speak Spanish. So we just had a fundraiser just a couple of weeks ago um, at a house in Newton, and we sold weavings. Um, I sold. I, I ran the silent auction, and I, I do a lot of photography, so I, I I frame pictures and bring them, and um, and we raised some. Um, um, about 15,000. Oh, wow. Day. Yeah. So, so, it, uh, they need about 40,000 a year, um, to, to operate with salaries and everything. And, okay. and, uh, and, and, and they are now, that's what the pharmacy, that's with everything. That's it, 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 with everything. And uh, now they're providing it themselves because they charge a few katsalis that a katsali is like a sixth of a dollar. And so for a woman to come in for a consult or for, um, we actually have them, um, 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 uh, do uh, ultrasounds. We have ultrasound mm-hmm. machines there, which which the local hospital doesn't even. Yeah, have. I was going to say that's got to be pretty mind blowing. Yeah, to, to yeah. See one. So um, if a woman comes in for an ultrasound, uh, she'll leave with um, with a picture of her baby, and she'll it'll cost her let's say five katsalis, which is le- less than a dollar. Um, and so the the midwives have been able to bring in half of the overhead uh, of the clinic, um, and it, they're at about fifty percent. Last year it was forty percent. So uh, our fundraising has gotten. Uh, Less and less, and much less work um, uh, to do. It's really, it's really a great thing. It's amazing. And um, aside from the Skype meetings and board meetings, you still go there every year, right? Or I try and go every year. And, um, and what are you doing while you're there? Well, it kind of rekindle nursing. It, are you no, are you hands on? If there's a, um, a, a a bodega, a bodega is when they announce over the radio that at the at the uh, at the mom center uh, that there'll be an open. Um, uh, um, a clinic for anybody. It's free. So people will come and I'll put on my nurse's cap. I still have my license and I'll see the men. And, um, and, and if Nikki's with me, another woman, she'll see, she'll see the woman. Sure. And usually the, the diseases, the issues that they have coming in are, um, uh, worms, um, uh, uh, malnutrition, um, you know, a severe headache. This one man, he carries bundles of wood up and down the mountain every day and he, and he puts a strap across his head to carry the bundles on his back. And he, and, and I, through an interpreter, I said, what's your primary problem? He says, I have the headache all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I, he left with a whole huge bottle of ibuprofen. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I could do for him. Right. And there really wasn't much, but, um, so, um, then the rest of the time I I'm photographing, uh, I'm just walking around with the camera and, um, I, I have one of the elders introduce me uh, before I do any picture taking because Mayan people do not like, uh, having their, their picture taken. Mm-hmm. They feel that it's taking something from their soul. So you always ask and you never take something. Um, even if I'm in the car, I, I don't do drive-bys because, yeah. uh, it just, just it, out of respect. it shows out of, it shows disrespect. So, um, I was able to get inside the homes, um, which is really uh, wonderful. And uh, a couple of the pictures you see in this room, you can see that I was, I was, I got that kind of. Sure. Uh, and I've um, seen it in the past too, with some of the photography right. you've taken. Yeah. So that, that has to be helpful to take that home and to showcase the photography and show, you know, what is happening over there and what's going on and what's changing and yeah. kind of tell the story visually, because for someone like me, having never been there, it's so it's the visuals are stunning too. Right. not just the environment they're in, but the clothes they're wearing. You can see the proud culture. You can see all the stuff that if you just described it to me, 
it wouldn't come across. That's right. And um, you know, I didn't tell you this before, but I'm actually writing a book. Oh, no uh, way. Yeah. And uh, it's really a, a photo book, um, but it has about 20 pages of content. And my son, Kyle, is helping me. To, not only does he speak fluent Spanish, but he is an incredible writer. And, um, and so um, I sent him the first draft and he sent me back uh, something that doesn't even look like I, I wrote it because he is so good. But um, I'm using about 60 photographs that really show you... Um, everyday life of the Mayan people. That's really and, cool. Yeah, so it should be ready. And when he comes home for Christmas, he's going to come down here, down the Cape for three days. We're going to do the um, final edits and um, we, it should be um, uh, ready in the spring. No and, way. Yeah. How are you going to release it? I'm going to release it probably on, uh, it's funny, on our book club, we have an author and mm -hmm. he just came this week. Um, uh, Keith Yoakum is his name and he's written some great uh, spy novels. Uh, and... Um, he um uh, he gave us a rundown on what it's like, you know, and so I kind of uh, got an idea that, you know, you go to Amazon and you know they take you know a good a good a piece of it, but yeah. it's really for me it's just um for the I have a lot of donors that uh, give from a hundred to a thousand on a regular basis, and I what I want to do is just give them. Uh, the, uh, the book um and so it, it, you know it sort of seeing the progress yeah, chronicled exactly yeah to, to see it to, uh, to see what they have uh, contributed to yeah. uh, over the years and uh, and 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 that's a way of guaranteeing a donor for life i mean um they'll be yeah. you know every year when you send your letter out with a, f a couple of photographs on it they'll say oh i'm i'm giving to that yeah I, I love giving to it but i have a, a a couple every year that give a thousand dollars every single year, and that's uh, wonderful. And I've given them a blanket, you know, woven blanket, and those types of things. But it'll be nice when the book is ready. I'll be able to give that to major donors. So that's really great. Yeah, that's yeah. really. Um, uh, yeah, I had no idea you were writing a book. I forced my dad to write the first book. I wanted to write a couple, but I, I had forced him. Uh, well, not forced, but you know, put a lot of pressure on him. Right, twisting the arm to get him to write. I got him. Write it? Yeah, um, I, it's got, it's a draft. It's nothing released. I just said you you have to at least write this so my kids can read it. Right, and uh, I got him to write the. It's like an outline at this point, meaning it's probably a 50, 50 page book or so. Uh -huh. So it needs needs more meat right. to the bones, but it's right. the story of his dad. And that's what uh, I wanted okay. that. And then I want to go into his story and I want, I want him to map that stuff out. Cause he, it's interesting, but right. you know, well, he's I think, a remarkable man. I mean, I've only met him a couple of times, but uh, you know, you probably don't brag about him on the air, but uh, you know, he speaks eight, eight languages. He's <laughs> it's bananas. He's, he's, he's an amazing man. Amazing man. He's but he, a pilot but he, he doesn't want to come on the podcast. Cause he literally thinks he's got nothing to talk about. Ah, <laughs> uh, no joke. He's, he, and oh, yeah, I'm not I, surprised. He's yeah. that humble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It, it's funny. But, um, so I want to talk more about the charity and outcome, but I want to go back first because I know they're related to wellness corp and then your work there and helped you to, to be able to help with the, the charity. But just for fun, I want to go back to, so before you're servicing Harvard and Brown and everybody, you have a baby on the way, you know, and then, and then two more, I think that came about over the time, but so you're starting a business, you don't have clients, you got a relatively new wife at the time, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So it was 1984. I just come back from Minnesota. Um, my nephew um, it just died. He was 16. He was murdered. So it, that was a very shocking ugh. thing. My daughter, my uh, daughter was born um, Christmas Eve of that year. I came back in in uh, in June. My father died that month. Uh, so it was quite a year. 1984. Yeah, I mean, all of those things are monumental things in a life, like right. you know, at a at a period in time. And if right. they're, but it, it's so often that there's so many things at once because that's how life is that's right it's not fair there's no rhyme or reason right. it's just 
Things but, happen. Yeah, I could have just sat back and just said, you know, I'm, I'm and feel sorry for myself, but I used that that horrible year, and that was the year I put the plaque on on, on a door uh, that I paid a hundred dollars a month uh, to rent, and uh-huh. uh, I just had a desk and a chair and and uh, no secretary, and stayed in that day, made cold calls every day until it was time to go to nurse uh, to my nursing job. Sure, uh, and 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 did that for two years, and before I, I I got my first account of twenty people, but you know, <clears throat> I, I I would say that for somebody that wants to 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 start a business in in in, in it's in your heart you know that you can do something uh uh better than something that's already out there so mm-hmm. so i think that's really important that that you have uh, that there's a passion for it yeah because the passion is really what's going to keep you um answering the phone at three in the morning and you know it's it, it, there's going to have to be passion involved no matter how ironclad your business plan is there's going to be bad times. That's right. Things are going to go wrong. Things right. aren't going to go the way you thought they had to go. And if you don't care about what you're doing, it makes it awfully hard to, really to try is. and right those wrongs. That's right. That's right. So you have to have that, that passion. And so it, it doesn't take a, uh, a slick business plan. And, 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 you know, and if you don't have a lot of e- equity, you know, you're not going to get banks to say, Oh, that's okay. You know, come on in. Yeah, you know? Here's all the cash <laughs> yeah, you want. Yeah. Yeah. Take that, it. yeah. We'll take the risk with you. Um, <laughs> so you're probably going to have to, you know, piecemeal something maybe by relatives and then yeah maybe and maybe you start small maybe it's maybe really maybe small. your grand plan can't be now maybe right. your grand plan has to you have to get to there and you start right. by clawing away at something smaller yeah that's right so it was so so for me it was um um, I, when I interned at Hazelden out in Minnesota, uh, my supervisor was a guy who went into the uh, EAP field himself, and he went into a national company based out of Utah. And then he, when I was still small, I had one account. I think he called me up and he said, <clears throat> "We just landed Kodak nationwide, and would you be interested in taking uh, care of their 500 employees that are in your area in the Northeast?" And of course, <laughs> well, yes. I was going to say no. Uh, <laughs> yes, he yes, said, I would. Do you have an infrastructure for that? I said. Sure, I do, <laughs> and and I didn't. No um, one waiting here for right, you, right? Right, and um, so that so it's the contacts that you make in life. I think that because he actually turned me on to three or four accounts in that first few years in the early going, and and a couple of them were were over a thousand people, and wow. and again that's that's a check coming in on a on a monthly basis. Yeah, and all of a sudden now you have enough money to buy a sec- to have a secretary, or or you have enough money to uh, to hire a clinician part-time and starts to look like a company that's right and so to bring in cash the other thing i did was um when you get arrested for drunk driving in massachusetts uh you have for a second time you have you have two choices you go to jail uh, for two weeks and give up your license or you go to um a class uh it's a group class and and um and they're usually uh, eight weeks long um all longer and uh so i started doing them at um uh, two nights a week uh i would have um uh, eight or twelve guys that uh, and sometimes a woman uh, that have either committed um a second or third offense um some had already been into jail and um and they would have to pay cash and i charged them twenty dollars and so if 10 people are coming in at twenty dollars it's 200 bucks mm-hmm. and you're doing that twice a week that's four that's all of a sudden you know that's a that's that's a nice piece of cash yeah and so i would um i would find out okay how can i get these referrals and i found out you have to do it through the probation office so i would make my pitch to 
probation officer that I have a lot of skills and in, in, um, in, I went to a special program in Minnesota. I got a certificate in chemical dependency counseling. Okay. And so, um, I had that and, um, <clears throat> and it was a nice uh, um, uh, um, a pro, a probation officer and uh, he sent me the referrals and that, that also made uh, a big difference. So um, you, you were really hands-on. Like you, it wasn't just selling the EAP. You could service. You understood what right. had to actually transpire. Yeah, what right. had to actually take place. That's right. So this is a way to get cash, but you were dealing with the people right. because right. you had the background and right. the ability to do so. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. like because I had worked in a detox for four years, so I knew alcoholism pretty much inside and out, and so I would let them all just you know. The state cop had it in for me. The first night, we go like that. They would, they would, we would just go around the table, and everybody would just really just just bitch about how it was everybody else's fault. Sure, um, you didn't so, have the drinks and get behind the exa- wheel. No, right. So then the next class, the next following Tuesday, and they had to come or or they go to jail. So I would put a call. It's a good to, way to get revenue. That's right. So <laughs> they were guaranteed to be there. Every yeah. Week. Uh, and so the next class, I would just say to them, um, "Okay, last week you got to tell your story. Now I want you all truthfully." To raise your hands to say if you've been drunk more than once behind the wheel. And of course, every hand goes up. And I say, so from now on, nobody gets to bitch and moan and complain because you're lucky that all you got was busted twice. You're lucky you didn't kill anybody. Yeah, that's right. And, and a couple did, actually. And we, I had people that had, had killed people. So um, it, it became... It, the group sessions were very, very, uh, I think that's the best way for anybody. When my wife died, I went into a group of people that had lost a loved one. And there was nothing like um, validating your feelings with somebody who's going through the same thing. And um, alcoholics all know, and that's what makes AA so so powerful, is that... <clears throat> that they know um, when you say that, you know, you just, you, you hated yourself or just you, you, you didn't want to go on anymore. They know, they know exactly what that feeling is like. So um, the group, uh, I would always recommend group process for anything. And, um, and uh, after my wife passed away, I needed to go through some PTSD because during the end, it was pretty difficult, um, uh, very difficult. And so I went to, to see a therapist for PTSD and, uh, and um, it, it it worked, and and so those now when I recall those those images, um, I don't just I don't just freeze. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, very, it's very you can important. kind of take control of the yeah. It doesn't they, go actually, away, but it's you called become EMDR. It's a process that um, that people use. They use it in, in after Vietnam, but it's uh, there are therapists now that that just do um, PTSD work. And what it is is it, it's uh, it's remapping your brain. Yeah. So you think about the the horrible picture that you that's in your mind uh, for me it was sitting uh, uh holding my wife's hand during her her last breath mm-hmm. um and i can just see that and so you would have to concentrate and of course you would cry yeah. and then they would have this a bank of lights in front of you in, in front of me and then you would have to follow the bank of lights with your eyes as you were thinking that thought so the tears are coming down the uh, the, the the lights going back and forth back and forth and what's happening is you're thinking that thought is your brain is rewiring it. And the therapist will say, it's okay, it's okay, things like that, some calming things. And after two or three sessions, you could actually think of that thought and no longer was it that 
horrible. Oh my God, how can I, you know, go on? It's uh-huh. just awful. Uh, you know, you no, weren't frozen anymore. A thought. It was just a thought. And so um, I would highly recommend anyone who's been through, and it doesn't have to be losing a loved one. It could be a car accident. It could be something that, you know, frightens you when you think of the thought. Yeah, something holding you back. Yes. Locked so in your seeing, head. Seeing one of your, your children almost uh, walk out in the middle of the road and you keep thinking of that thought or whatever. But I think PTSD treatment is... Um, and we're not talking about 100 sessions. You know, you can get it done in eight or nine sessions. So anyhow, I know we digressed a bit, but I think that that's important. It doesn't matter. Yeah, for people to know. Yeah, so, it is. So, yeah. So um, so, so the... Um, the, the we right can digress now, all we want. I mean, they're making huge ground in PTSD therapy now with uh, different drugs that people always thought were drugs you shouldn't take. Right. Like they're using uh, MDMA and other drugs to have huge huge breakthroughs with soldiers and PTSD right. to rewire their brain. That's right. That's right. And they're even looking at, you know, you know, I, I you know, Timothy Leary was out there, uh, people say, but the, the, there, there are, there are doctors now that are, they're illegally, um, experimenting with, um, a hallucinogenic. Yes. Um, and, uh, and they're having incredible results and that, the best results they're having is with people that are in hospice. And, and what it is, is when, the, when you're taking these drugs in, in your brain and, you know, I'll, I'll admit in the early sixties and seventies, I took them myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you really, your brain goes just another place, another place. Free. Uh, just, it, it's just amazing. And I can remember walking the streets of Milwaukee and everything, all lights, every, every moving thing, every, every, Every person, every car, every rock was all connected. Had meaning. It was, yeah. And it was like, oh my God, you know, we're all like, you didn't have questions, you Mm -hmm. know, it was just all, there was no angst. And, and so the the experiments they're doing with these people in hospice, these people are actually smiling. They're just sitting back and they're just saying, you know, the fear left them. In other words, they weren't afraid of where they were going because now they think They've seen where they may be going, and it's okay. I've heard that account too, where yeah. the, it's basically the fear melts away. That's right. And if the fear, which is, know, I mean, who doesn't want that? That's right. That's right. And 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 so and and um, and and uh, you know, I've worked, uh, I volunteered in, in hospice, and I've seen people petrified right up until the end, and it's just so sad to see because it doesn't have to be that way. No, it know? doesn't. I think that's nice that they're. Um, I think they're making a lot of uh, no. People feel different ways about it, but I think they're making big grounds with marijuana too and to put it in especially people's hands that are uh, either going through cancer or, right. or or any other condition that it can help with, you That's know, especially right. mental conditions where it can help your brain to go to a different place. That's and it doesn't mean out of it. it you right. don't have, it doesn't mean it shuts your brain off. Right. It can just right. release some of the anxiety. It can release some of the things locking you down. Right. And I, I don't understand how that's bad. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, the United States still uh, considers marijuana a class. Uh, right. Same uh, as heroin. Yeah. Th- yeah. It's in the same class as heroin. Makes sense. Yeah. And if you look at that, it was all, uh, th- there were racist reasons why yep. that was done way back. And political. This, and, yeah. And political. Um, Paper. So it's, it's Paper amazing. versus hemp was one yeah. of the big reasons that, right. that it stemmed from. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. But um, ho- hopefully we'll see changes. Um, maybe not in this administration, but in future administrations where we'll see uh, them much more open to um, uh, to marijuana in in, in THC. So um, I, I'm optimistic about that. We'll see. I'm, yeah, me too. I mean, it's a plant. Right. At the very least, I think you need to it's explore. Right. The, the, I mean, you ha- I don't mean you have to use it, but in medicine, in every use where it's got all kinds of promise, right. you have to determine 
whether or not it does, you can't just say, no, 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 that's the, that's, that's a bad thing. We don't, we don't that's look right. at that. That's Cause right. then, you know, when you make it a schedule one, when you make it an illegal substance, scientists can't use it that's to learn right. about it. You know, that's there's, right. so it's, you're just holding yourself back for, for absolutely no evidence. Yeah. That you for federal be. grants right now, the only marijuana that, that scientists can get is, is, um, is in, in the state of Mississippi, uh, on a college grounds, they, they, they raise 15 acres of it, but it's not anything like the stuff that you can buy in Colorado or California. <laughs> right. And so or even really, here now. That's right. They're really stuck. Um, uh, and, and it's because it's still classified. And if it's a federal grant, that's the only marijuana they're allowed to use. So. But you can buy a whole barrel of whiskey and go to town. That's right. Which one's more damaging? I know. You know, it, it, I know. That, it's insane. Right, right. So the, the other thing that I would say about, you know, we're talking about, you know, lots of different things, but but entrepreneuring is that is that I think it's important that, uh, giving back is part of your, maybe you didn't think about it when you started your business because you were so busy with the business. But when you incorporate that into your uh, thinking that, 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 you know, whether it's volunteering on a board, whether it's, um, uh, whether it's doing something like, you know, getting, um, right involved in your own neighborhood in some sort of a community, whatever the, the, the that goes back and forth. It's not only you giving, but you'd be surprised what you learn and in, in, in how you feel. Um, there's nothing like, you know, um, I mean, I love doing this cause I, I know I shock my kids. You, you, you're going down the road and there's these guys with the signs and, you know, and, and maybe they're, they're going to go buy a jug or go buy some dope, you know, it doesn't matter. And I'll just give them $20 and, Oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. You know, and, my kids will say to me, you know, why did you do that, Dad? He's just gonna, he's just gonna go buy booze. I said, it doesn't matter what he's gonna do with it. That the object is is to give. That's it. That's all my role here is is just to give. Yeah. And what he does with it or she does with it, that's entirely up to them. But if you have the mindset that you're gonna judge them, then don't give. You know, because that because you're doing it, you're judging them, you're, you know? and you're giving yourself the right to judge. That's right. So just give without judging. I mean, you're trying that, to that's give yourself the right to judge. Right, right. So uh, I think that it's very important that if you have a business it's, it, and it's uh, all successful in, in, in any capacity, um, uh, to, to start looking at, at ways in which you can um, um, volunteer or give back. I wanted to ask you about that specifically. Mm -hmm. So you have the Wellness Corp and it starts to do well and it's, you know, it goes from the scrappy shingle on the door, the $100 door, to right. doing better. And that's when you started to pursue the giving back, right? You had the, the thought. So what do you think it ties to like something makes you want to start a company? Cause it's a lot of extra work on top of a job, right? To right. start something on your own. So do you, do you think that, that you're, you know, just part of your personality is, is inclined for that. And then the company grew and was doing well and you kind of needed another challenge and you were now in a place that you could do it without having to be motivated yes. by paying for food. Exactly. Exactly. So in other words, when your company is to, to the point where you're not really worried about, you know, um, money coming in or, or, or contract canceling on you um, and you have more time because whatever you volunteer, if you're going to do it right, it's going to take some time. Um, and, and so, uh, and the other thing I'd say is to preserve your own family. So um, my wife's father was a, was a surgeon and she never saw him growing up. And she would often say that, um, you know, he would be in the office until late at night. Mm -hmm. So it was, and so when I had a chance to go national with my company, cause it was re regionally, it was doing well. And then I had a chance to go national and I had a conversation with, with Sheila and I said, um, um, this will mean that, uh, you know, I'll be away from, from, from home. And she said, um, 
that's not a good idea yeah. for this family. And so that was it. That was it. And uh, so I, I didn't miss soccer games and I was home at night. And I want to get into that too, yeah. because that, and that's something that really motivates me and, you know, right or wrong. I don't, it's not our place to judge again, how people run their family, but invariably work affects your life, right? right? Whether or not you work for somebody else, you work for yourself, you have a nine to five, it affects your life. And what I've always, what, one of the biggest thing that interests me about entrepreneurship, or at least, you know, having your own shop, doing it, right. doing things your way. It doesn't mean you have total freedom. I mean, your clients are the boss. I mean, That's it's, right. it's not like you've just got, you don't, you don't hang a shingle and, oh, must be nice. You're, right. you're, you know, you're, right. you're Bill Gates. It's, that's right. not the way it goes. There's a tremendous amount of work to it, but you do design it. It's right. up to you. So right. if you're run by clients and you're ground into the, you know, they're grinding you into the ground, that's on you. That's and right. if you have things running the way you want, that's on you too. You make it happen. Right. And um, family was a big thing for me, a big thing for you. And different times in my company, and I'm sure different times in yours, it, it impacts the family in different ways, right? Like I'm sure things were that you, you were, even though you weren't traveling, you were gone a lot more when you were cold calling all day and then working as a nurse probably sounded like second shift. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah. then working so, as a nurse. Right. So you're not home as much as you'd like to be, but, right. but it's kind of like, your family's at the phase at that point where it's understood that you do this grind to get to the next place. So it kind of fits. Right. 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 And then the company starts to do better and you're probably back more. That's right. I'm not doing a three to 11 shift. Um, so I'm home at seven or eight at night. Yeah. And, and, and so, and not going national means I'm home on the weekends and not in the plane. And so, um, it really takes a balance. So when, when someone shows me or tells me about a, a great a person and he made a ton of money and blah, 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 I always, uh, say, you know, so what was this family life like? And, and there are whole books, lots of books written about uh, men who are, um, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright and Hemingway and, um, and Captain Cook. Um, uh, they were horrible husbands and horrible fathers. And, and, and so, uh, yeah, they, they made their place in history, but um, they, they didn't take care of business. Uh, and, and, right, take, and, right. and if you're a father, you have a job to do. Probably the most important job you'll ever do have in your life. Yeah. And do it right. No and way around it. If your, if your business gets in the way, then your business has to go. Right. Uh, you talk about a legacy. You know, right. the legacy is your children, more, your children. Than, more than more than any business. Absolutely. Is. Or any, any, if you get into a nonprofit and you find that you're, you're not, you know, yeah, taking care of business at home, then the nonprofit isn't worth it because being being a parent is you know that's the ultimate. Yeah, and and and, and, and there's ups and downs just like with the business. You know, right. there's hard times and good times, and there's tough lessons, and there's right. you know, there's no no one likes to see their kid upset or cry, right. but you know, sometimes coddling them when they're upset isn't the right thing. It that's depends. Right. That's part of parenting right. too, but you have to be there to do that. You have to be around. You yeah. have to be around. And if your, if your job is going to take you not, so you're not going to be a family man or, and uh, uh, you're not going to be around. You're not going to see those things. You're not going to contribute uh, to the, to the growth of, of, of your children. Um, then first of all, don't expect much. So, you know, when they, when, when they're Don't arrested, it to at, magically at, work. Yeah. Right. At, at 22 for possession, um, you know, <laughs> you just look in the mirror. Yeah. I mean, so, um, what goes around. So I, I would say that always maintain a balance and, and keep your family as number one. Um, that's the most important thing and everything else is secondary. So you, you decided not to go national. Like what else, what other things, you know, throughout the course of the wellness corp did you do, or that can you think back on that were, um, because you were weighing life, not just 
money or not right. just not just work right like, you know right yeah i i there was it was certain accounts that i would not take because i knew that those accounts would would beat me up um uh, psychologically yeah <clears throat> and i knew that they would also cause me to question not to question but to put principles on the line um and so i had a, a huge opportunity to get a big account with uh, with ups uh and when the people from ups came in and told me what they wanted um i just told them i said um uh, I can't deliver that uh, because I knew how that would have affected my family. Yeah. And so my vice president at the time, his jaw dropped because he couldn't believe I was walking away from a UPS contract, but um, they were, they were, they were having me. Um, they basically wanted to know when a person came in for counseling, which is, which is, is private. It's the most private thing. If that person was on a, they're um, already in a bad place. They're already to in a need bad help. place. The, uh, the, this, this, they wanted to know this particular group, and there are many, many groups of UPS because they're all run by individual managers, um, and they're partly owned by them. Um, they wanted to know um, um, when that, if that person came in, and they wanted to know their name. And they said, especially if it's a supervisor, because we want to watch them, you know, when they get back to work. Wow. And I said, that's not going to yeah, happen. That, that, that feels dirty. Yeah, it's not going to happen. And they said, well, that has to happen. And this happened with a huge law firm in Boston. I won't say the name, but one of the top law firms in Boston. And I explained to the supervisors what would, what, what, what would, uh, uh, what would entail, um, so they said, well, tell me what happens. So a person calls up. They say they got a little bit of a drug problem. They want some help. I said, yes, and then we'll see them. And he goes, uh, and we'll get that information, right? And I said, oh, no, that's, that's absolutely uh, confidential. And they said, well, what kind of program is that? I said, he said, we, that's what we want. We want to help people. Yeah, we'll pay you double. They're, they're not going to call us for help yeah. if they know they're going to get in trouble exactly. for calling us for help. And I walked away from that account. And I said that that's not the way this is done. So, so, and I think in any business, whether you're making cupcakes, you know, if somebody says, uh, you know, uh, just put in, you know, this much more butter, even though you say you only use this much, you say, no, that's a lie. And I'm, I'm, comp I'm compromising myself. And so I'm not going to do that. So yeah. you, you'll be faced with that as an entrepreneur all along the road. And you have to, you, you have to make the decision whether you want to take the high road or, or you want to, you know, make money. Um, and, uh, and usually when you're on your deathbed, um, you, you can't take it with you. So it doesn't really matter. You, right. You'd rather have a legacy that's solid, uh, than, than a whole bunch of money and yeah. stuff. And it's amazing how, as you age, you, you start to uncover those truths. You know, it's not, it's the, it, your priorities at 20 are very different than they are at 40, you know, and as, right. as you keep going on, it's amazing how, how think you're the same person, but you're not the same person over right. time. Right. Now, now, for me, is is I love quiet, and so um, I have this place here on the Cape, and I have a place in, in Canada uh, with Cheryl, and 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 we just love um, um, peace, peace and quiet. Yeah. And you know, I can't. I, I grew up in Somerville. I mean, that that was a pretty wild city, and uh, and you know, uh, Worcester was it was uh, was pretty busy and. And now, you know, uh, I, I think if you can get to the place where you can uh, sit and read a book without being interrupted for like three hours straight, to me, that's, that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that almost doesn't seem like a real place. That's right. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's like that's hard to find in normal that's modern right. day society. That's right. And, and I know with, with children, it's hard, especially when, they, when they're young. But, um, but if you work hard enough, you'll get to that place and it's pretty neat.
Yeah, I think the work hard is a thing that um, it's not always a given. You know, people start to think if you have a great idea and you just do it, that it'll work. And right. that's almost never the case because there's right. always there's always things you didn't think of, things you didn't see, things you couldn't have thought of that that right. that bring apart, bring about those the the bad times or the difficult situations. You know, and then right. sometimes it's just you to figure it out. That's you know, right. you, it's not like at a, at a, a former job or when you were in college or something where you had a team and you had to work on the thing together. You don't always have a team, That's even right. if even if you have employees, it doesn't. You don't. Sometimes it just comes down to your shoulders and you figuring it out. Right. And that, that goes home with you too, you know, so that right. it really helps to, uh, for me, I can only speak for me, but my wife's always been in my corner and a supporter. And that, that goes a long way because it's not, I don't have to shield it or hold it in. You know, if something's bothering me or I'm thinking about something or worried or going through, you know, I, I know my family's there to support me in it. It's not, they don't have to be blind to it. That's right. And, and I can say that the clinic in, in Guatemala is really, um, it's, it's, re that's why Sheila's uh, picture is in the, is in the vehicle. Uh, because, um, if, uh, when I made the decision, I knew that I would be traveling to Guatemala, uh, you know, we were building something and, and I'd have to go there at least every year, at least for 10 days, uh, every year. And that brings uh, certain dangers with it too, right? right. Not, not just the dangers of travel, but Guatemala is not right. You're not going to right. Boston. It's no, not, it's not no. the safest place. It's a, and I got sick, pretty sick. Uh, um, there a couple of times and it's, um, it's the highest rate of, uh, of, of, uh, femicide, just killing women in the world. Um, really today. Yeah. yeah today. Uh, Honduras, Honduras is a close second now, but, uh, so, so it's not, um, it's not a safe place. Uh, but, but, um, she is just a, as much a part of that legacy because when I decided to, to, to do that, of course we sat and talked about it and I gave her an idea of how much I'd, I'd be away, but yeah. she, but, but so it's, it, she's just as much responsible for that because she was home, you know, watching the kids, um, right. you know, maybe they were in high school at that time, but keeping sanity. That's right. That's right. And, um, and I also thought it was important. And if anybody does do something with uh, the third world that they should expose their children to it. And so I never took my daughter, but I did take my two sons on, on separate occasions. I know you did that. And I was just going to talk about that. That's pretty cool that they, they, they got to see what it was all about that's and right. maybe to get a, get a, an inkling of the feeling because it's got to be you didn't set out to help the third world you set out like all right i'm, I'm doing well i want to give back and you started to look for a place to give back and right. then you happen to meet in vermont now while right. they're in exile you happen to meet them and then you go over there and now you're here you are how many years later is it now um so 2002 we opened our doors so it's uh 18 years but you were involved before the doors opened yeah. too right yes before the doors opened. so right. yeah and and here you are still <clears throat> going over there still helping out and and still involved so clearly Clearly, there's there's something there that you get out of it, right? Right. And I think it's cool that you shared it with your children that, that they got to see, even if it's not something that they uh, hold on to. Meaning that that project, right. it probably impacts them that they'll find their own project and they'll, that they'll be looking for a way to give back after seeing you know what you've done. I think That's that because right. I think that the showing your children not telling your children right. I, it always goes a longer way you know you can you can tell them all you want that's right uh and you have to i mean your dad right. you got to tell them things too but the telling only goes so far especially when they become teenagers which mine aren't there yet so but right. i know right i know what an ass i was when i was a teenager so sure. uh, <laughs> but when you i think when you can show your kids when you can be the example that that doesn't leave right right and you know good the, or bad the third world is, is is like when you get off the plane 
you smell it. You just, it's, you just, you know, you just smell diesel fume you know, because they use diesels for everything up there. And you get an instant headache when you get on the tarmac. And so um, when my son Ryan went, um, he he was petrified because um, everybody was carrying submachine guns, and so people unnerving. Had, yeah, people have personal bodyguards, so he'd see a, a a van pull up with all the the windows blacked out, and the guy would come out with a the AK forty seven, AK fifteen, whatever, and uh, and he was just petrified, and and so you know um, up there to have a security on an ATM is is a guy standing next to the ATM with a sawed off shotgun. I mean, so it's a very different world and, and he had probably never actually felt scared before right like no. never in that type of situation no. where there's there's probably not going to be justice either if right. if something goes wrong That's it's not it's not yeah. like you even have that it's, illusion it's not like the the american embassy is going to be there and, and, and taking care of you so and especially up in, uh, in the mountains where we were it was really uh, uh, tourists don't go to those regions usually when they go to guatemala they go to Lake Atitlan, or they go to um, uh, a couple of the, the tourist hotspots in their air-conditioned bus, and then they go back to the airport, or they go up to Chichi. Um, um, but um, they don't go where where this clinic is. Uh, it's just not um, where tourists go. Have you ever come across any like squirrely situations that made you really nervous, or is it just getting used to the difference in the guns? And yeah, the- we, we the, well, the first few times I was there, I was always picked up by the Mayans themselves because, and they would always have me ducked down in the van because they didn't want anyone seeing a gringo um, going up into the mountains because that's when there were a lot of bandits, banditos they call them, uh, that would just stop the the van and and just anybody who was white, they, they, you know. Pockets packed with gold. That's it, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, the, the most ignorant person to go over there is a guy that he you know he lands in guatemala he rents a big suv and he starts heading up into the mountains and uh you know not only was he robbed but he was killed i mean so you know you really have to know uh the culture so for me the mayan midwives um really told me what was what, where to go where not to go mm-hmm. um duck down in the, the seats if we were going to a particular um um uh, point like we went to Antigua, and for 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 white people, there's no such thing as a is a border crossing. But if you're a Mayan, all of a sudden, two guys come out with with AK-47s, and and they fleece you for as much as they can get. Um, if you're you pay your way Mayan, over the border, yeah, yeah, to to get into the city, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but if you're if you're white, they don't mess with you because then they'll get into big trouble. So, um, and that's the way it is in a lot of third third world countries. In in and nowadays, you know, it's it's probably not as as safe as it used to be. I think in in a lot of countries. I mean, you think of Iran and Syria, the whole Middle East, and and, and you know Lebanon and um, Africa. I mean, it's just it's just it's just tough. So my wife grew up in Saudi Arabia, and it's wow. it's not a safe place, no. you know. And she's a fair skinned, red headed, you know, uh, wow. beautiful white woman. That yeah. it, so. Um, when she and she was a kid, of course, and the, people would come up and touch her hair because she was so she. I mean, she does not look like she belongs in Saudi Arabia. It doesn't look native right. to it, for, certainly. But she um, never really understood how unsafe that the place could be for people, or how uh, you know lawless it could be, uh, because she lived on a compound and in a in a very safe, almost like an oasis at the right. time that doesn't really exist much anymore because times have changed. Right. Um, but yeah, she she when she was entertaining going back because they were opening the country for like two weeks and they were going to allow uh, people from 
like that had lived there past to come visit. You know, we, we I, I supported her going because she grew up there and, and all of that. But at the same time, I was like, there's no way that me or the kids would be going with you. I mean, that's not, you're not just going to see a beautiful place or a foreign culture. You're going to a place where you're not protected. There's no laws. There's a, there's a lot of real danger in in some of these places. They're they're very, very dangerous places. And um, I'm assuming Guatemala is like that. And that's what I'm thinking. If there's areas you're driving through and you have to duck down, uh, you know, you got to be thinking about, well, what if, right. What if they stop the car? What if they pull up this blanket and look at me and it gets rough, you know, then I, I, you know, should I, should I be here? What am I doing? Especially the first time or first couple of times, you know, um, worrying about the kids at home and, right. and what, what could, re- cause I, I guess I'm imagining you can think about that before you get there, but it's gotta be a different feeling in your stomach when you're in the car and, right. and you're ducking down Yeah, and it's yeah. real. And when you get sick, when you when you're up in those mountains and you know that there's really no medical care, <clears throat> and you're sick, and I was lucky it wasn't. I I did have malaria, but I didn't get it in Guatemala. I got it in Costa Rica, but I I got the I got food poisoning twice uh, in Guatemala, and and you really can't move. I mean, you're just you know throwing up and diarrhea for for days, and and. Um, you know, you're wondering, you know, what, what is this, is this it? You yeah. <laughs> you're laying on the floor and, uh, 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 this is before the, the medical clinic was built. And, and I'm just you know, saying, oh my God, you know, is this going to be, there's nowhere to go, answer? right? Yeah, nowhere to go. There's no, and they were trying to give me, um, you know, herbs and a tea and I couldn't keep anything down. And so, um, yeah, it's times like that that you say, uh, you know, I wish there was a, a doc, a, a walk, walk-in clinic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ready med. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a CV. Yes, or yeah. something. Uh, but uh, uh, but the other thing is is the roads in Guatemala. There, there, there's the road that goes up into the mountains. It, it's been rebuilt by the Swiss. The Swiss invested a lot of money. They also got ripped off quite a bit, and so they're not happy about that. But uh, <clears throat> and they really took a lot of shortcuts when they built this road. So it is nothing to see. And in, in my book, one of the f- photographs is a landslide that happened maybe ten minutes before we got there. And so they didn't reinforce with uh, steel or anything um, straight uh, walls at a ninety degree angle on these on these uh, cutbacks. And so when the rainy season comes, the mud just fills up with water and the, the wall falls down. And so many people are killed in, in Guatemala because the, the walls of the roads fall down. And, and we missed one by just, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. Uh, the whole road was just mud uh, from the, the- Just luck. Yeah, just luck. And so, you know, it, it's those types of things that you you're not used to in the, in the first world um, uh, that, that, that really um, uh, take you by surprise in the third world. So I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. But here you are now, the 18, 20 years later, and you still go every year. And so, man, I can't imagine. Do you, so do you, did getting sick and being uh, feeling that helpless nature, does it change anything? Like, does it do you start to travel with extra medicine in case of Always. in case I, of an I, issue? I, yeah, or? I, I bring a CPAC, which is, you know, uh, certain antibiotics uh, all the time now. Um when I go into, if I go to countries that uh, malaria, I mean, Costa Rica was a country that they said that you didn't need malaria uh, p- pills and, and I got malaria and I got it twice because they discharged me from the hospital before all the parasites were gone. Oh, jeez. Um, and it was horrible. Um, and so- I can't, um, I mean, it must be- Oh, it's a horrible illness. And and it kills more people worldwide than, than it, it I should put it this way. So a million people die a year of, mar- of mar- malaria, but- 
uh, the morbidity from it. In other words, being sick. So an African may end up with malaria maybe five or six times in their lifetime, <clears throat> and that's using netting and all this other stuff. Um, and it doesn't kill them, but they can't work when they have it because it so debilitates you. I mean, I lost 30 pounds. 30. Uh, yeah, and, um, and, and it took me so long to get back to work. So um, malaria is a, is a devastating illness and mosquitoes carry dengue fever, uh, the Zika virus, um, um, yellow fever. I mean, it's just that little bug. Uh, it creates more havoc. And so when you go to those countries, even if they say, like in Costa Rica, oh yeah, Santiago's a great city. You'll love going up, up and down the rapids. And, and you say, they have one of the, the, the most highly virulent mosquitoes in Central America is a, is a, a mosquito that is called Pulsifarum. And, 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 and that's in Costa Rica. So we went into the jungle on one of those uh, uh, zip lines. Uh -huh. And thank God I got the uh, malarial um, uh, pill you take every day. Um, and it doesn't allow the parasites to multiply in your body. And, I, and my son had it because he went with me uh, on this business trip. And uh, he took it every day. And of course I didn't. And, uh, and I got malaria. And uh, it's just, just horrible. But the, the other uh, the illnesses in uh in Guatemala, you know, thank God that you will get better. If but if you run down and you get um, um, uh, 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 food poisoning, uh, you could have a really tough recovery. Yeah, and I got or, the, or you get a virus after or in the middle of the food poisoning, and then you're already weakened. That's you know, right. there's there's a lot of risk there. Yeah, yeah. one of my trips um, to Guatemala, I got shingles. Uh, the second day before I left, I, I noticed this rash and then the pain. And I and the pain was excruciating. And uh, I just couldn't wait to get on the plane and off the plane and, you know, and just, you know, and get to a, a hospital because I just didn't want to go anywhere in Guatemala uh, to treat shingles, you know, because mm -hmm. there isn't much they can do, but, uh, you know, except for pain meds and, um, uh, but, but having shingles in the, in the mountains of Guatemala was one of my worst, uh, you know, the, the midwives were trying to give me a massage. I can't imagine how uncomfortable back, it was. Know? It was awful. Uh, so, uh, but, but again, those are just, uh, that, that goes with the territory and you, you have to be open-minded that, that, uh, yeah, you can't expect if you're in the third world that things are going to go the way you want them to. Right. But you also, go. you probably can't imagine that until you've done it. Right. Like, you, you know, you, I can't put myself there because I've never been there and never I've never put myself there. So right. like your first couple of times when this happens and you get this illness, of course, you don't plan for that because right. how would you? That's right. It's so it's that's got to be uh, scary. Right. It's, it's got to. But it's life's life makes, makes a good story. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you can write a book now. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Is that OK? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Okay, back. We took a quick break. I had to get some water there for a minute. And um, uh, just for anyone that notices the jump in the audio, we're back. Okay. Um, I want to, uh, there's one more thing I want to ask you about because um, you're the only person I've talked to that can talk about the full journey. So um, it, I know it's off where we were just talking about the third world countries and all the help, but going back to the Wellness Corporation, your company, then maybe we'll go get some lunch and finish off our day. But you got to build a company run a company, sell a company. You got to, you know, have that American dream. So I, I don't even have a pointed question to ask you, but take right. me through selling off the thing that you made. You know, what, sure. how, what kind of process is it? Is it emotional? Is it, you know, what's it like to, to sell well, off? It's, the thing? it's amazing because a lot of the things that you learn um, in your own business and in, in, in that, and I, I, I spoke to that already about, <clears throat> um, 
Um, whether it's telling your wife that you're not going to go national, you, you decided to go regional because you could see how it's going to impact the family. The first person that offered me um, uh, to buy the company was um, a, a large healthcare company out of Pennsylvania. And we agreed on a, on a, uh, on a price. And um, we actually, um, they flew into Boston and um, in a conference room, uh, they had the contract there. My lawyers were there. Um, and I looked at the contract and I said, that's not what we agreed to over the phone. And he said, oh, oh. And then he started. So it's like a, cat, it's like a switcheroo right exactly. there in the meeting. And they know they have a big fat check for you and you're, you, know, you want it. You want it. Uh, and so I guess it's done all the time. And they said, well, um, we just figured that um, there's going to be uh, a 20% loss in business the first year. So we've adjusted the, um, uh, the final check to, to, uh, to accommodate that. And I said, but that's not what we agreed to. <laughs> right, and they're call. like, so we did this because of course, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Now, I don't know how many people um, just, you know, because of their situation in life, yeah. uh, just, uh, just have to take it. And I said, um, this conversation's over. And I got up and my lawyer was chasing me down the hallway like, James, what, what are you walking away from? You, you've got to be crazy. I said, no, 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 they're, they're, they're trying to, they're taking my life's work. And, and they've disrespected me. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I was never in a gang, but I think, you know, you hear that word all the time about why they go after each other. He didn't, he didn't respect me, man. You know, he didn't respect me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they showed contempt for me. Yeah. And so I could only have guessed how they would have treated the clients that I had nurtured for years and years. So to me, it was a no brainer. Yeah, and that means something. Exactly. Because that relationship is real. That's right. That's right. So that was, so that was that. So two years later, I get an offer this time. They came up, they made the pitch. They said that they would give me, you know, X amount. And uh, they said, but you know, we need to do this. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, well, <clears throat> again, a little bit of the, the first company. Uh, they said that um, uh, we're going to, we're going to, give you the money you want, but we're going to hold some of it in escrow to see how the first year goes. And if you lose a Harvard or a Yale or whatever, we'll just take that out of the escrow. Even though you won't be running it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's out of my hands. So, but I'm responsible. But exactly. So, so I said, uh, that's not going to work um, because I have no control over the, the quality of the service. And I know what I give the, those, those people now for quality and I can't guarantee that y'all going to do the same thing. Right. So um, I said, deal's over. They flew back to New York. Um, two months later, they said, uh, we'll give you exactly what you want. No, no, no. Uh, then they sent me a letter, a purchase um, kind of agreement. Um, and it was legit. <clears throat> I signed it. And, um, and then, of course, the hard part is that you know that when you sell a company, as much as you'd like to save Every employee, yeah, um, because I've already bought four others of, of EAPs in different parts of the country. Uh, they're going to consolidate, and that's that's they natural. have to. They have to. I mean, to make it worth their while, um, so they'll have finance out of maybe a Rhode Island office, and yeah. have you know. So there goes my CFO, and you know, and as much as I love these people, and I tried to save as many as I could, there was only so much I could do. Right. So then you have to go through um, the employees. Um, I'm not going to use the word hate because that's a pretty strong word, but it gets pretty close. It's going to be emotional. Very Because they're invested in it. It's yeah, their job. And jobs right. mean a lot to people, that's right? That's right. And so they have no use for me, 
for my Guatemala stuff, for anything. They anymore. start to resent. <clears throat> they resent me. And yeah. so it was really hard. That's got to be hard, you know, from an emotional perspective, because yeah. you've, you've given so much and you can understand their angle too, you know, right. and they don't even know half that you might've given it. No. And, and they had no idea. And one woman, they were going to fire her on the first day. I said, if you fire her, you will lose the laborer's account. And I said, that account is worth almost 400,000 a year. So I said, I can guarantee you. And um, so I said, as a matter of fact, um, I think you should meet the laborers because I think it'll be important for you. And so, <laughs> and the laborers were a great, a great group and they met the laborers and, uh, you know, um, uh, guys like Louis Mandarini and these guys, and they sat and they, they sat across from them and they said, look at Carboni knows how to run this company. If you guys don't run it just the way he did, we're out of here. I'm going to tell you that right now. And you know, blah, blah, blah. So it was great. And so they didn't fire um, this woman. Her name was Maria and they kept her on. And she, as far as I know, she's still working there, but well, they, that's cool. because that's she didn't have a degree. But she was wonderful. So on paper. On paper. Yeah. She never agreed. She said, no, she doesn't have a BS. She's gone. I said, no, 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 no. The, the laborers love her. She knows how to take care of that account. Uh, it doesn't matter. I said, well. It's going to matter. It's going to matter. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it was really hard going to work, um, you know, in these, you know, after 30 years, you know, and they knew that my wife was ill. Um, and I thought that they would, you know, give me a little slack. And uh, I really didn't feel it. No. They gave me any slack. It's really um, a shame. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a very so tough had a time. So it had a bitter feeling at the end? Yeah, very bitter. And um, I tried to avoid work as much as possible. So at that point, you know, they were already doing the things internally. They were flying up. They were interviewing their the, my own employees. And um, so it was, but, and I would prepare anybody if you go through the quote American dream yeah. and you do, because you don't want to, you know, run your company to 85. You want to be able to sell it or have a legacy where yeah. your, your sons and daughters take it over. My kids were not interested at all. So um, my legacy was to sell the company. Um, and so um, I had to, to just grin and bear it. And, um, and uh, so that was a tough part. I but, I can't, I can't imagine it not being tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It was a tough part because you know, these people, you know, not only did I, that I know them well, but if they had problems with their kids, I would help, you know, put their kids into a treatment center mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. And, um, and, I, and I, to this day, I have never heard from any of my employees. You're kidding. No, no one. I, I should say not, not everyone, but she was gone before I sold the company. Uh, I have not heard from any one of them and, uh, and they were and you know, and that was 30 years. And I, you know, I had 40 at the end, but you know, there was certainly more than 40 employees because of the turnover. So, right, right, right. Over you time. Know, so maybe, maybe a hundred people. Um, and I haven't heard from one, um, since, uh, since I got, um, uh, so. That's crazy. Do you think it's the whole, the the must be nice glasses that a lot of people have that it's sort of like the bitter resentment. I, I know it's like, it's a thing I used to talk about with, with a couple other business owners where you get that must be nice attitude from people, even though you, it's not that nice where you are, you know, you're, you're, you're going through a lot or there's, yeah, there's stuff they don't you know, know about. They, they say yeah, it's only at the top and it is. And, but I think that, you know, it's, it's, they look at the owner as a, a guy or a gal just rolling in dough and that I can't relate to where they're at because, you know, they're humping it, you know, week to week. Though I gave the best wages, the best benefits. I let people bring their dogs to work. I mean, so we had 
benefits you wouldn't believe. Uh, and none of that made a difference uh, because I was, I, you were the I, man. I was the man. I was going to get rich uh, and, and they were going to be out of a job or be in a, a less a nice job than they had before. And they did keep many of them, but their benefits were different. You know, yeah. they couldn't bring their dog to work. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so they, that, was, that was really the real world for them to see what, what benefits people. I gave people a 401k match the day they started. Um, they started on the pension plan the day they started. Uh, if you were an employee, even if you were a secretary, you had two weeks, three weeks vacation to start. Um, and that was unheard of, you know, in the field. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it didn't get me any kudos in the end <laughs> because y'all looked at as uh, the guy with the money and um, screw you. It's crazy. And and like the, the stuff we were off in Guatemala, you said they were starting to treat that with resentment. Was it like... Like they thought you were off on vacation, you know, like you know, you're, you're that, like you're in St. Thomas. That actually, that, that actually got me angry to be honest with you, because, um, they didn't have a clue as to what those women went through up there. Uh, many of those women in that village had seen their sons and their fathers killed. Um, uh, one woman, um, described her, the, the, her son's head rolled into her kitchen oh, Jesus. Um, when she was just sitting there. So they had no idea of the pain that those, uh, that those villages went through. And yet they looked at my Guatemala thing as, um, you know, um, he's just, you know, vacation. He's just he's going away, having a great time. So it just really, and if they wanted to know more, all they had to do was ask. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they... They were too busy, I guess. Uh, they viewed it as like, dad's not giving me my attention. Yeah, they, they you know, like like um, he and his his stuff is first and, and we're nothing. Um, and, you know, we had during the during the early part of owning the company, I had looked into uh, selling uh, your company to your employees. But that is a very, very um, uh, tough and torturous process. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're really, you're still tied to the company years after too. So it, it really wasn't, I wanted to make a clean break. Yeah, I know you did. And, and yeah. some, I mean, what's wrong with that? I mean, you, want, you, you also had things going on in life where if you didn't, right. it's still making a clean break. Okay, that's like right. I'm done with this. I, I've, I've built it to what it is and I want to go do something else that's now. Right. That, that's a prerogative and that's perfectly fine. But you also, your wife was sick. You had, you had other things to right. deal with right. where I don't, of course you don't want a bigger headache That's or you, right. I mean, the whole point of selling was cause you were done with that now. Right. I don't, right. I don't understand the. And, and, and so it, it was, it was surprising uh, for me uh, that, that, um, uh, that they just didn't, that they didn't have that empathy um, to understand that. Um, and I think a lot of it happens in many companies. I, you know, it's funny because um, before Trump was anything, I was on the golf course watching a match in, um, in, um, in, in, um, uh, outside of Worcester. They had a PGA Tour tournament there, and uh, they said that this guy named Trump was flying in on his helicopter. And this is years before it was even uh, on TV. And, um, and, of course, a Trump helicopter flew down, and he got out, <clears throat> he went on the links, and the pilot and the co-pilot was standing there just shooting the breeze, and I was around the corner, and I could hear what they were saying. And they were just mouthing off about what an asshole. And, really? Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm lucky if we get paid next week, blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying to myself, I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're an employee, 
that you'll always have something bad to say about your employer. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you it's know. your prerogative. Yeah, it's, it's, it's your, prerogative. You have your right to bitch about it. Exactly. And so I, I, I kind of looked at it that way that, that, that they, even though I gave them, you know, um, you know, the best conditions to work in the best benefits and everything, I think in the end, uh, they felt that they were being sold out. And, um, and you know, uh, the reality was they, they were, I was selling the company and, and the new owners had a right to do whatever they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so, and that was it. So, um, it, it wasn't, um, uh, the other thing that happened in the company, I think this is important is that any entrepreneur, any person that owns a company, uh, must be prepared that they, their, their, their company, their employees will steal the accounts and move on. And I never had people sign that kind of agreement when they started. And I, that was a, a lesson I should have learned a non-compete and mm. have them sign a non-compete. And I didn't. And I had a couple of employees, um, that left to a, a competitor and they took a couple of accounts with yeah. them and it was totally illegal because they stole the, um, um, you know, I mean, all the information that was on the computer, all the private stuff. So oh, I had, wow. to, I had to sue them. Yeah. That's your IP. Um, and, yeah. And so, um, it was a, a long drawn out affair. It was two years. It was uh, 15 depositions that I was involved Jeez. in. And in and many of those, I couldn't say anything. There was their deposition. I could just sit there. Um, and so I went through that for two years and at that time I was having my back problems with, with surgery and stuff, but I would have to, you know, whatever. And at the end of it, um, I, we settled cause I was in the right. Um, and we settled for, uh, 200,000. My legal fees are 185. <laughs> so, so I, I was two, two years of hell. Yeah. Um, stress and, and stress, anxiety. And, oh, it was awful. And, and, but I think that, um, keep an open mind that, 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 that happens a lot more than you would think. Um, and so, um, just a word to the wise, uh, if you have, you know, clients or things that are important, always have your employees sign a non-compete. Um, uh, that at least takes that off, off the table. It doesn't mean that they're not going to do something else or may not try to do. Something doesn't mean else. they always hold up either, but at least there's a That's deterrent. Right. That's right. It's, yeah. it's a deterrent. And, uh, so if I was to do anything different, I would have had that, uh, non-compete sign. That's a great way that, uh, that's funny because I was just going to ask you if there was anything, you know, over the course of running the business, is there uh, like a lesson or a thing like a, that you didn't expect, you know, when you went into be to founding a business that you would, that, that you had to deal with. And was when you're looking back, you're like, yeah, I just didn't see that coming. Yeah. Cause for me, it's always been how difficult it is to deal with people, right? How uh, the employees, how it's yeah. like you, you, I just never had the frame of mind of how much, that actually took right as opposed to just there's your job do it that's right which is not the way it is right. it's just you know i it, that was always the hardest thing for me was that every one of them is different everyone takes effort everyone takes you know i i, I was young admittedly when i first started especially but i really just thought it was all right i hired you for this you just do it it's your right. job right and that's not right. how it works no it's not how it works and and i think that in it's it's in all companies is that is that and you'll hear this i'm sure time and time again i love the work that i do but the employees are a pain in the ass and i i hear that so i used to hear that so often but what happened to me was not only were a couple of them a pain in the ass but they tried to steal, steal my accounts they stole yeah. uh and 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 that is a whole nother level um because you you have to sue you because the the, the person that they went to 
um, was a competitor and they were owned by a big corporation. Uh, and so they had lawyers and uh, no problem at all. They'd fly them up from Philadelphia and uh, it was no big deal. I was paying for my attorney. And so that's why it cost me 185 in the end. And, mm-hmm. and I won, I, w- what did I win? You know? <laughs> so, um, so, so that I had, I did not see that coming. I did yeah. not see that coming. And, and so, um, uh, the rest, uh, I, I think that was the biggest surprise, really. That was a biggest surprise. And, was, and disappointment, to be honest with you. Because, sure, cause, sure. Because these were people that I I took care of. I mean, I really did. Uh, at least, you know, maybe if you interviewed them, they'd tell you something different. But I, I really felt I took care of uh, the employees. And they saw greener pastures. And, um, you know, and these people that I was competing with saw that I was getting into the student assistance, and, the, and they particularly went after the two account executives that took care of student assistants. Mm. So they wanted that in their company. And so they figured that they would, and they offered them more money. Yeah. So, you know, if somebody, it's an attack. Uh, yeah. So somebody calls you up and says, look at leave your company, bring your, a couple accounts with you. And uh, I'm going to give you 10 grand more, you know, and you're barely making the mortgage you know, every week, you know, right. it's, that's a pretty good offer. Right. Um, so I wish they had come to me. And said, you know, give me ten grand more, and I would have probably given them, you know, seven. Well, yeah, and then and you don't have to be a thief. That's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> keep some integrity and right. and get some money. That's right. That's right. So, uh, a word to the wise: if you want more money from your employee, ask them for us. Uh, yeah, and if you're valuable enough, they'll probably give it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make it known. I think that's another big thing is employees that do become disgruntled. Sometimes it's it's warranted, but sometimes they just. It's like with any human relationship, they're inferring what they think onto onto their boss. Their boss might not have any understanding of where they're coming from. That's right. If you just talk about it and and make sure at least it's in the air, right. then then you can at least deal with what it is right. as opposed to what you think it is. Right. And that goes for your family, your children, your wife, you know, anybody. Right. If you're if you're not actually telling someone why you're angry or happy or you know, if you're not if you're not sharing it, they don't know. Right. Right, that you can't just expect them to infer that's your right. feelings, you know, that's and that's that that works uh, throughout business, throughout family. It's just have the conversations. That's right. You know what I mean? It's called communication. Right. That's right. It works. Yeah. On that note, you want to go get some lunch? Sure. Sure. Sounds good. All right.